Welcome to Industry Focus, the podcast that dives into a different sector of the stock market each day. I'm your host, Emily Flippin. I'm Jason Moser. I'm Nick Seipel. I'm Dylan Lewis. And today we're talking financials. Today we're talking consumer goods. Wildcard Wednesday. And we're talking energy. And today we're talking tech. Let's dive in. Welcome in, everybody. I'm Nick Seipel. Joining me is Motley Fool contributor Luis Sanchez. Our guest today is Alex Holmes, chairman and CEO of MoneyGram, a leading provider of cross-border payments and money transfers with operations in more than 200 countries worldwide. Alex, thanks for joining us today. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me, guys. Appreciate it. Uh, great to have you here with us. So I kind of gave a, a snippet intro on, on what your company does, but for somebody who hasn't heard of MoneyGram, can you maybe give the, the high-level overview of, of what your company does and the customers that you serve? Yeah, it's a, it's a it's a great question, and uh, you did a really nice job on the intro, but uh, fill in the blanks a little bit. So, uh, MoneyGram is uh, known globally for its ability to uh, send and receive money real time, uh, cross border for um, basically anyone who who needs that that type of service. Effectively, uh, there is about seven hundred billion dollars plus and growing every year uh, of uh, money going basically from point A to point B, from country to country. Uh, our primary uh, constituent has always been uh, first and second generation uh, migrant consumers. Uh, you know those individuals who've um, you know left one home to to migrate to another and effectively uh, earn a better living, save money, send home, and support their family and and their loved ones. Um, over the past you know decade, um, this industry and MoneyGram in particular has gone through quite a large transformation. Uh, and I would say that you know largely speaking, the business started. Um, as a cash-to-cash business. Today, we have over 400,000 physical points of presence. But um, as digital has evolved, as consumer needs have changed, and obviously as the uh, coronavirus pandemic has you know, really kicked in in the past 18 months, uh, we've seen a huge acceleration of digital. So I would say MoneyGram, no longer known for simply being uh, a cash-to-cash-based money transfer business, about 32, 33% of all of our transfers today are digitally enabled. Um, and we do uh, quite a bit of sends from uh, both MoneyGram online across 37 different markets. And then a lot of receives are now sent directly into bank accounts or wallets. So effectively, if you uh, are living in you know, a, a country that's not of your origin, or if you have family members in another one, or if you're simply traveling, migrating and saving money and you need to send that money back home, we facilitate those transfers effectively real time so you can get money uh, where it needs to be when you need it to be there. And uh, it's uh, obviously uh, an incredibly uh, diverse service. We serve over 25,000 different corridor pairs. We operate in 120 different currencies. So a lot going on, always very dynamic and uh, always something happening. So, Yeah. So you mentioned that that $700 billion number. That, that really, it was striking to me as I kind of studied up on, on this industry is just how much many dollars and remittances are, are getting pushed around the world. And you also mentioned, you know, the country pairs for, for me being in North America, U.S. based, I obviously think of, of U.S. to Latin America, Mexico as, as a huge channel, but this is a global industry. You know, a lot of our, of our listeners will probably have that U.S. bias too. So when you think about channels outside of, of North America, where are really the, the, the big places folks are uh, you know, doing this business? Yeah, it's a great question. A large, you know, the largest received markets in the world tend to be countries like Mexico, as you mentioned. Um, obviously, India uh, is a, is a huge market. They receive um, quite a bit of money out of the Middle East. Uh, a lot of money coming back home from Australia, Europe, the United States, Canada. Um, Philippines is a huge market. Uh, Filipinos, I always say, are always my go-to example from a diaspora. 
who effectively go anywhere and do almost anything. You find them in construction, you find them in cruise ships and in travel industry, hospitality, you find them as um, a lot of uh, domestic caretakers across the Middle East and other uh, and they, they literally uh, will leave home for, for years at a time. Um, OFWs is, is kind of what they're known as overseas foreign workers and will send um, money back home and support their families for literally years. And so, um, you know, when you think about uh, corridor pairs, um, you know, countries like, uh, you know, the UAE, Saudi Arabia, sending money back home to Philippines, Pakistan, India, you think about um, Australia is a great, you know, diverse market. A lot of sends back to um, a lot of the Asia Pacific uh, islands, plus you know, a lot of money back to the Philippines and, and other associated areas. Um, clearly, the U.S., Canada, huge outbound markets, really, literally sending to almost every country in the world. But you know, a lot of concentration down to Mexico, uh, Guatemala, Honduras, El Salvador. Obviously, the top, the top markets, Jamaica, um, and then you know, you get. Some very diverse um, areas that you wouldn't think about. A lot of sends into Africa, but also a lot of sends out of Africa. And what you tend to see are migratory patterns where um, you know there's a lot of um, interactivity between either border countries or um, maybe where there's been some um, you know historic foreign arrangements. So French-speaking Africa, a lot of money back to uh, you know places like Belgium and France, and obviously France and Belgium back down. Um, Spain to Morocco is a great corridor. Um, a lot of sense to Romania. Romanians are um, obviously avid uh, migrants across Europe. So Italy to to, to Romania and these, these types of corridors. So you see it everywhere. It's it's um, it's pretty dynamic. Uh, but uh, those are some I think some some illustrative examples. Yeah, that's. That's really interesting to hear you talk about like the overseas foreign workers. And, you know, one of the things I, I find really interesting about the markets that you serve is that it's so far removed from like the typical day-to-day -day, um, interactions that people in like the developed world would have with their bank. And I'd be really interested in hearing about how um, the financial needs of your customers are different from maybe the financial needs of someone who lives in like the United States, who is banked by uh, like a, a, has a more typical banking relationship. Yeah, it's a, it's a really interesting um, question to sort of consider because um, our, our consumers are kind of run the gambit, but if you think about a typical receive side customer, right, these are going to be typically family members um, of the overseas foreign worker who um, are reliant on that money coming back home um, to uh, basically pay for you know education, food, uh, healthcare, shelter, etc. So they're looking, generally speaking, for you know a, a standard remittance to come into the to the country, you know, kind of either on a on a weekly or or biweekly or or monthly basis, depending on um, where they are and, and who might be sending. Um, holidays are are big time celebrations, birthdays, etc. Obviously. Um, also very important in, in the lives. Sending money home is a great way to, to support and say, uh, you know, I love you back back to that family member. So um, you get sort of um, all sorts of, of different um, profiles on the receive side, but the senders tend to be, uh, you know, very mixed. And so oftentimes, depending on where they're going, um, they, they could be temporary guest workers, which is very common in the Middle East. So um, you, you see a lot of, for example, um, people from Bangladesh, Nepal, Pakistan, India, um, who may be um, 
traveling uh, to these countries for a short period of time and living there as temporary guest workers working on a particular project. Uh, and what they're trying to do, generally speaking, when they receive their, their paycheck is to get that money uh, back home in that regular cycle. So they're not necessarily looking to get that money banked in the country in which they're, they're currently residing, but it's more important to get that money back home and into the hands of the, the receiver. Um, oftentimes, and traditionally, that money going back into the hands of the receiver uh, was picked up in cash. And I would say that in most markets today, picking up in cash is still the predominant form of, of receive. Um, it gives you the most utility in market. And as you can probably you know, think and recognize, a lot of countries, uh, particularly across you know, the developing world, um, you know, paying for things, receiving things in cash, paying for things in cash is, is very, very common. Um, more and more, um, you do see uh, receives going into bank accounts, and there's a lot of efficiency around that. And we can talk about that as, as a proliferation of, of debit cards and bank accounts and wallets and other things are becoming more mainstream. You're seeing that shift a little bit. Um, and also, if you're, if you're a, you know, a young worker moving uh, overseas um, and actually Actually, not supporting family, but maybe saving money for yourself because you intend to return home someday. Sending money to your bank account can be obviously a, a critical way to save so that you return home that that money's available to you. Um, when you think about um, the the sender um, in, in other markets as well, you know sometimes they may even have a bank account um, or perhaps that they. Um, work for a, a company or an organization that requires them to have a bank account. But again, um, that will help facilitate their ability to, to digitally send money, right? To go to moneygram.com, to go to the app um, and actually link their bank account or link their debit card to facilitate the, the, the send back home. But again, their, their spending needs, their requirements in, in country tend to be um, somewhat limited. And so uh, their, their need again is to get money, money back home, which is very different from say yourself, right? Who's obviously, you know, looking to get paid on a weekly or, or bi-weekly or monthly basis, but then that money stays in country and you're using that, you know, kind of on a daily basis um, to, to spend, you know, for your own, for your own life. So it's a very different um, requirement. And, and obviously it's quite nuanced in the sense of, you know, I need some money in market because, you know, I live here and I'm here for a period of time, but I'm, I'm really, you know, primarily focused on on getting that money back home. And that's really the scenario for a typical first generation migrant or a temporary guest worker um, whose primary objective is, is to earn money, not to not to migrate. Now, we also do do a lot of business with uh, second generation and third generation migrants as well. And what's happened in those scenarios oftentimes is that someone at some point uh, immigrated you know, to to a country um, an established residence there. And now they have, you know, their, their children are growing up, et cetera, but they still have family back in Mexico. They still have family back in Honduras, Guatemala, Philippines, Romania, wherever they may be. Um, and there's still an expectation of support going back to those families. If you think about Bangladesh, which is a, a great example, you know, typically people in Bangladesh live on about a dollar a day. So you can think about a $300 or $500 remittance coming into the country can be completely life-changing for um, an individual or a family in that in that market. So these are you know really really critical remittances, and I would say one of the most important aspects of any customer on the send side is is the importance of getting money back home and ensuring it gets there um, on time and affordably. And so that's where you know I think MoneyGram does a great job uh, to support that. Yeah, I love that context on you know really how, how the, the the solutions uh, that your your business uh, has for 
these customers, uh, kind of zooming out from those individual customer relationships you mentioned, kind of how MoneyGram interacts with the banking industry um, a, a couple of times. You, you just did a deal with, with a crypto business. You interact with other kind of fintech businesses. Could you characterize where MoneyGram fits into the overall financial ecosystem? Where does it plug in? Sure, absolutely. So I would say one of the, one of the most um, difficult things to, to, to understand, but also one of the most difficult things to facilitate uh, are, is cross-border uh, money flows, right? Most banking systems uh, anywhere in the world are designed for domestic purposes. So uh, the point being that you know if you're if you're working with with Chase or Bank of America here in the United States, or you're working with Barclays Bank in the UK. You know these banks are are really um, federally chartered. They're they're under the guise of of the regulation in the United States, and they're there to facilitate really. Uh, you know, payment flows for, you know, citizens of those those countries. Um, when you want to get money cross-border, then it gets infinitely complicated. And those of you who have ever tried to do an international wire transfer, the traditional way through a bank, it can be very expensive. It's slow. It's, it's, it's not transparent. And so companies like MoneyGram, you know, have built global networks, 400,000 locations around the world, access to billions of bank accounts, online services, et cetera, basically with the idea to create a network that works with banks, but facilitates instant flow of funds because getting money home transparently and quickly is really the most important aspect of what we do. And so in order to facilitate that, we put money around the world um, and so that we can run real-time settlement flows with our partners um, kind of on an overnight basis. And if you think about that and maybe analogous to, to like a Visa or MasterCard transaction, you pay for your, your good at the point of sale with your debit card. The merchant doesn't get paid until that transaction settles overnight. In our business, you want to send money from point A to point B. We, we, re we accept your send, we pay out your receive, but we haven't been paid yet. And we typically get paid overnight. And that's the way that we run the process. Now, the process works beautifully for us, but you know, arguably, and this is what a lot of crypto, you know, arguments are about, is that, that that's slightly inefficient. Banks are inefficient. But again, they're not really designed to go cross-border, right? They're designed to protect their borders and their citizens when money moves between the two. You know, you get into a lot of question on, you know, regulation and AML, and then also, you know, banks just aren't really built that way to, to, to facilitate those flows. And so we just kind of sit in the middle of that. Uh, and so while we, we have a great brand name for consumers, because we need you know, consumers need to know who we are and what we do. We also, you know, in the background, you know, really facilitate these real-time settlement flows and I think do that extremely well and efficiently. So the question becomes, I think, arguably, is there a better way to do that longer term? And that's where, you know, there's a lot of nuanced, I guess, ideation around blockchain and crypto and, you know, is there a, is there a better way to do this? And so when you look at it today, you could argue, you know, yes, potentially, right, that the way that blockchain works, the way that the interoperability of, of crypto within that blockchain world um, is actually very efficient, quick, and fast. The challenge becomes you're on-chain in this world, and then off-chain is kind of everything else that we're all used to in the traditional financial model, and it's really hard to bridge those two worlds, right? If you want to buy crypto, you have to register and sign up for an exchange. It can cost you 1% to 2 to 3% to buy you know, Bitcoin with, with US dollars. That process can be very slow. You have to link your, your bank account. You have to link a credit card or a wallet, you know, and then, and then put the money up there, buy it, wait for it to process. It's even more challenging on the receive side because now you're basically, if you sell your Bitcoin, now you've turned it back into fiat and then you've got to collect that somehow from the exchange, which is not 
you know, a, a very efficient process today. And again, adds, you know, one, two, three percent of cost. So there's a lot of inefficiency in the interoperability between the two worlds. I'd say that, you know, the traditional financial world works pretty well. I'd say the, you know, the in crypto on-chain world works pretty efficiently, but there's a bridge between the two. And then there's obviously this question of, um, you know, where's the crypto coming from and some of the AML, and we can talk about compliance, but there's some some of those challenges as well. So when we look at the opportunity with, with Stellar and what we're doing with Stellar and Circle and United Texas Bank is we're really looking and saying, can MoneyGram play a role in the interoperability between uh, the crypto world and the fiat world? You have literally 5.7 million Stellar wallet accounts out there where effectively consumers are, are holding crypto, um, whether they've mined that, whether it's been transferred to them, whether they've purchased it directly um, is kind of irrelevant. It's sitting in a wallet. And the question becomes, you know, I can use it, I can facilitate, I can pay for it in the online world, in the, in, in the crypto world. But when you want to get it back into fiat, there's really no on and off ramps for that. So in our situation, if you take crypto in that, sell your Bitcoin, turn it into a USDC coin, which is a stable coin we'll talk about, and then facilitate that flow through Circle, which is a licensed exchange, they're basically guaranteeing that that, that USDC is worth the equivalent in fiat then MoneyGram is going to kind of act as, as a global ATM machine, allowing you to kind of withdraw those funds out now that they've been switched into, into cash. And so it really creates a really interesting dynamic around funds in and funds out and interoperability between two different worlds. And that's kind of to the consumer point on the back end, which is even kind of, I think, you know, a little bit more interesting is when that consumer says, okay, I want to take 500 you know, USDC and convert it. Basically, we're being told simultaneously by Circle, okay, now, you know, prepare that to be cashed out. At the same time, Circle is settling with us real time on that same transaction flow with a different set of USDC, but effectively giving us USDC into our account, which we can then convert to cash in our own way. So we're actually timing those payment flows to be real time. So this overnight settlement I talked about before kind of gets eliminated and you're really looking at real time facilitation of settlement, which is not something that anyone is really doing today um, and very, very different from what you see in a traditional banking world. So I'd say both are extremely exciting. Both are very interesting. But again, pushing that innovative paradigm around how do we bridge two different worlds and then how do we really make that you know, dynamic and, and uh, accessible for everybody? Uh, absolutely. So yeah, just for uh, listeners who don't have the context, uh, you, you guys, MoneyGram has uh, announced a partnership with uh, the Stellar Foundation to facilitate um, a really interesting and unique bridge between the digital cryptocurrency world and the fiat money world. And it goes along this um, strategy that you guys have announced that I, I believe you guys have referred to as MoneyGram as a uh, service, yeah. correct me if I'm wrong. Um, and where you've also announced a few other partnerships with um, a couple of other blockchain pro uh, projects, as well as some other um, remittance companies and other companies that operate in the more traditional financial world. So just kind of bridging the, the two sides of your business here. You know, earlier we talked about how you guys are the consumer facing remittance sender and on, you know, these more MoneyGram as a service or MoneyGram partner relationships, you guys are doing more of like, it sounds like more of a backend service or could you help, like, could you help maybe explain the difference between 
how you guys work when you're dealing with partners and when you're working as more of a infrastructure or service provider versus how that's different um, when you're the consumer facing remittance partner? Yeah, it's a it's a it's a great question, I'm, and I'm glad you brought it up because it, it it's really important. And and uh, when you think about um, what MoneyGram is is kind of been going through over the last really you know five years and the last couple in particular is is this huge transformation from uh, you know effectively a, a distributed transaction you know processing model to much more of a a consumer facing model and consumer facing really works extremely well in 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 the digital and, and in the online space so you know first and foremost MoneyGram is kind of like, we're all in on digital right we're we're pushing that agenda. Uh, we want to be consumer direct in every market that we can, and we want to, you know, get the, these customers uh, that are new customers coming into the market every day, younger generations. Um, you really focused on, you know, the digitization and, and the facilitation of those funds flows, and so that means we want to digitize the front end for the customer, and we want to digitize, you know, the back end settlement flows as, as we've just been talking about. When you when you look at then what does that mean for kind of the broader context of this network that we have around the world? Well, we think of the network in, in really two parts. We think of it first and foremost as kind of this amazing cash network that we have in, you know, 200 countries, 400,000 plus locations where we can facilitate, you know, funds in and funds out real time. And then we've got this, you know, continuously growing um, dynamic digital receive side where we're adding bank accounts and wallet capabilities. So, we're really, you know, kind of building out this this you know, extremely dynamic um, network that, for a long time, has really been stuck. Um, I would say in you know, kind of the MoneyGram um, world, right? So you have to be part of the MoneyGram flow to do that. And the more we think about it and look at it, and then start to think about, is there a way to monetize that network differently? Is there a way to think about um, how do you facilitate flows for others through that same network? without a transaction that's necessarily branded as MoneyGram. And you know, the answer is there's a lot of ways to do that. And I think you you highlighted a couple of those, but when we think about as a service to us, that means that you know, we can provide that same ability to get money from point A to point B on behalf of a third party. that um, doesn't necessarily have to be a, you know, an end consumer or a front end consumer who's saying, I wanna use MoneyGram. It could be, for example, a business that has workers um, in, in foreign markets that need to get paid. It could be, um, you know, anyone who's a gig economy worker, right, who, who may be working in sort of a distributed uh, way. They could be contractors working for multiple companies that, that are looking to get paid. Paying people in foreign markets um, is very complicated as well. We talked about the trouble of kind of, just kind of moving money um, across border, but actually getting payroll into the hands of individuals, either into a bank account or to a wallet or even into cash, can be very complicated, particularly if you are a domestic oriented business who doesn't have an international footprint. But the more you think about how the world is kind of flattened and shifted, the more you think about how digital is bringing people together, um, it works really well in a content perspective, works really well in a social setting. It works really well from a messaging and communication, but the financial aspect of it is still lagging a little bit behind. And so, you know, we really think of as a services, MoneyGram's ability to really facilitate um, funds in and, and funds out, you know, either on behalf of, of individual consumers or on behalf of businesses um, looking to make disbursements and, and distributions. And so um, that is really where, what that's about. And, you know, you, you highlighted a couple of digital asset partners. Um, you know, we announced CoinMe, uh, we announced Gcoin, both very different companies, but, uh, you know, a, a little bit of the same nuance, really trying to think about how do you bring 
and bridge um, you know, consumers that are not in the, the, the mainstream financial fold into the market and really give them the ability to, to do, do things that, that technically speaking only bank or more sophisticated investors can currently do today. So, you know, that's what that's what that's all about. And again, it's it's interesting, even when the Stellar Network uh, with CoinMe, you know, we're not actually touching the, the cryptocurrency at all, right? We're just doing what we do best, which is kind of facilitating funds in and funds out in fiat. Um, and then what consumers do with it on the on the other side is is really um, up to them. And so it's, it also allows us to be a little bit neutral on um, exactly who we partner with and, 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 and what that partner's, you know, main job, you know, is, for example, it could be, you know, a construction company, it could be an oil and gas company, it could be, you know, a, a social media company. Um, so a lot of different ways to look at that. But as long as we're thinking about it from MoneyGram's ability to facilitate funds flow, particularly across order, I think we have a huge opportunity there to do, to do that and, and scale it and do more of it. Absolutely. Um, it's, it's really fascinating that you guys have this legacy of, you know, doing payments the old fashioned way. And you have this natural advantage when it comes to translating those legacy uh, capabilities and know-how into the, the new digital world. And, you know, you said, I'd like to pull on the thread a bit. You said that you guys are all in on digital now. Um, and anyone who's tracked you know, your financial results over the last couple of years, uh, there, you've, you guys have had very eye-popping growth, especially in the last two years in your um, digital, uh, your digital remittance business. Um, could you talk about, within the context of digital, what kinds of investments you're making into that product and how you guys think about the long-term success or what you're tracking in terms of those like what what you're tracking in terms of this of the success of the investments you're making there yeah absolutely it's a it's actually an extremely relevant question particularly with uh last week's announcement with with stellar um you know, we, we are uh, extremely focused on the future of, of remittances and cross-border payments and, and, and basically funds flows for, for consumers and businesses and, and, and truly believe that, you know, this is going to continue to, to shift to digital. I think the shift that we've seen so far is, is definitely permanent. If I take a couple of interesting examples, um, in Australia today, um, you know, MoneyGram.com, which didn't exist for us in Australia, basically two and a half, three years ago is now about twice the size of our traditional uh, walk-in cash business. Um, if I look at India as an example, two years ago, about 10% of our sends into India went into a bank account, and today it's about 50%. So I think that shift to digital is, is there, it's real, and it's as relevant as it's going to be. And once a consumer downloads an app, once they get to interact with you, um, it really changes the paradigm. And I think, you know, no one likes to waste time. No one likes to stand in line if they don't have to. So, you know, people begin to see that that ease of facilitation of funds flow, but not everyone's going to be banked, right? And not everyone is going to to shift away from, from the cash world and not everybody is going to, you know, want to do that. So we, we do think it's important to, you know, maintain the cash network. And that's a little bit what we just talked about. So you think about then, well, where's the growth going to come from? What's that future look like? And so our focus right now is, is to shift the business to digital as, as, as much as possible. Um, and really begin to think about how we go deeper and wider in, in financial services, right? We're known for remittances today, but we want to be known for being much broader in, in financial services in general. Um, and that means a number of things for us. You know, first and foremost, we want to um, be relevant to a broader group of 
of consumers. So we need to get the demographic shift the right way. We need to move from, you know, just these first and second generation migrants to, you know, Gen Z's and local domestic markets. We want to actually, you know, change the way that our app works and start looking at, you know, how we shift to a wallet. You know, can we provide debit cards? Can we provide other financial services? Um, how do we go, you know, deeper into that as well and, and provide high dollar sender um, opportunities, not just, you know, today we kind of specialize in 300 to 500 thousand dollar type transfers. We think we can move money in the tens, twenties, and thirty thousands on behalf of consumers that have a much broader uh, need, and and do that in a very efficient way. So we want to we want to push that agenda as well. And so that means we need to improve a few in a few areas. We need to market ourselves a little differently to those customer groups, and then we obviously need to continue to improve and overhaul our app and continue to invest in that. So those are really a, a few big initiatives that we have generally around kind of content, and then. We want to expand geographically as well, right? We're in about 37 markets with MoneyGram.com today. We want to push that into more markets. And so that might mean that we need to get some licenses and, and some uh, changing uh, regulatory in a few markets to, to get us there. But we're going to push that um, in a big way as well. And then we're going to look at, um, you know, how do we continue to uh, to broaden that horizon around, uh, you know, the, the business side of it? Because we think that there's this shift coming and we think that that needs going to continue to grow. So I think there's a variety of different ways that we can um, we, we can reposition it. And then obviously we've talked about Stellar and kind of the back office change and then also kind of how we're looking differently or who our consumer base can be. So geographic expansion, um, going deeper, going wider, adding more facilitating, uh, adding and facilitating more funds flow from a broader view of, of MoneyGram as a as a financial solution alternative is really where we want to go. And, you know, getting the dust off of kind of the name brand getting disassociated with kind of how people may think of us traditionally as only cash and only at, you know, check cashers or foreign exchange houses, right? That couldn't be farther from the truth now. And so I think that's changing every day. We've done a great job on the social media content side. I think we're doing a great job, you know, appealing to different customer demographics. The digital customers are younger uh, and that shift continues to go that direction, which is exactly what we want to see. So I think we're getting more and more relevant every day. I think we're bringing great products to, to market. And I think that's going to continue to benefit us, particularly from a shareholder perspective as we move forward. Yeah, no, it's, it's really cool to hear you talk about some of the things that could be on, you know, the uh, product roadmap down the road. Um, Another another thing that we've seen is the rise of a lot of well-funded digital competitors, and a couple of them have recently uh, gone public. How yep. do you view the uh, competitive threat from these companies like World Remit or Remitly? Yeah, I think that you know, look, hats off to all those companies. They've done a really nice job positioning themselves, and and clearly have gotten you know incredible valuations for for those efforts. Um, I think. To me, uh, it gets me super excited about what we have. And I do think, and I've said this on a couple of, of earnings calls, you know, that I think we're underappreciated for, for our capabilities today. And clearly, you know, MoneyGram has been through a lot in the past decade. You know, we've had to deal with some legacy financial issues from, from the financial crisis. We've had to deal with some regular, you know, uh, regulatory challenges um, over the past several years as we've kind of overhauled our compliance situation. But I actually feel in many ways that we're a, a much stronger company now than, than we ever were in the past. I think our ability to compete um, is stronger than it's ever been. Uh, and we're rolling out the relevant products and doing the relevant things to, to push us in that direction. I think when you look at you know app downloads or you look at growth rates in digital, you look at um, you know, how we're doing on pricing, you look at our, our social experiences and the media around that. So I think all of those things would indicate that we are 
perceived very, very differently than we were in the past. And that that shift is is on its way and will continue to move forward. And so, you know, I think anything that digital competitors are doing, you know, we can do uh, today and we can do better in some instances as well. And if we can't, we're going to fix that and make sure that we can going forward. So, you know, we're, we're addressing, I think, all those issues we are taking it head on. We're excited about it. And, uh, you know, you're going to continue to see a very different uh, moneygram as we evolve and, and push the agenda forward. Yeah, that makes a ton of sense. Um, speaking to the question of valuation, um, in your recent earnings call, in no uncertain terms, you you highlighted the fact that you believe that MoneyGram looks relatively undervalued. Just in light of that, what, what do you think investors are, are currently missing or getting wrong about MoneyGram? Yeah, I think that there, you know, there's there's probably. Um, you know, as I always say, I mean, you know, markets are not, you know, they're, they're, they're usually well-informed and intelligent. So, I mean, I think that, you know, the, the challenges of the past um, are not easily, uh, you know, shed, right? And so there is a, a large, you know, scale effort to kind of change perception. Um, you know, I think when, when last time we spoke, we talked about, you know, if you ask about MoneyGram, right, depending on who you ask, you know, in, in certain jurisdictions and foreign markets, certain individuals will say, oh, yeah, no, I use MoneyGram.com. They're great. I love their social media presence, blah, blah, blah. And there's as many people who are going to say, oh, isn't that like, uh, you know, don't they work with check cashers and don't I have to walk into a store? Uh, you know, again, it, it really comes back to a couple of different things. I think we're relevant to the customers that we need to be relevant to, but there's a broader scale um you know, refresh, I think, of the brand and, and who we are with the investor community that that is underway and, and will continue to be ramped up. You know, having conversations like this are extremely important as we talk about, you know, that new agenda. And then, you know, we've had, uh, you know, our share of overhauling the business. We have a lot of investments to make. We've had a lot of challenges um, in the past with compliance. It's, I mean, all these things are fixed, they're addressed. Um, but, you know, financial performance at the end of the day is, is what it's all about. And so putting up the numbers, to go with that growth, to grow the acceleration, to go with the excitement around the new products and services is important as well. Um, and so I think consumer, you know, consumers are seeing that from us on the front end. Investors are going to start to see that from us coming through um, in the coming quarters and years. So I'm excited about that. I think it's going to help uh, change that, that perception. But I think what is underappreciated the most and, and the hardest thing to understand is that you know if you don't operate in this industry, if you don't use these types of services, Right, it's really hard to associate yourself with them um, as a as an analyst on on Wall Street or as a you know portfolio investor. So you know that's that's on us to educate. That's on us to to inform. And I do think again back to your question about you know when the online players uh, go public at those high valuations, that says someone is looking at the industry, someone's understanding it. And if you look at MoneyGram in that exact same way, with the added benefit of all the cash services that we have and the ability to to be different, I think that says a lot about who we should. You know, be looked at how we should be thought about and what our valuation should be. So I'm excited about that. Yeah, I love it, Alex. Maybe last question for me. Thank you so much for for spending this time with us. You know, we've talked about Money Ram for a better part of a, of a half hour here. Lots of different nuances uh, with the company, but just want to give you the final word. Uh, you know, for folks, uh, you know, what should they take away uh, from this conversation? What are the important bullet points to know about uh, your company going away from here? Yeah, I think the most most important thing to know about about MoneyGram is that uh, you know we are uh, very very uh, relevant and digital and continuing to be so you know in a very growing and fast moving market. I think that our services uh, today are as relevant um, to mainstream consumers as they are to the migrant populations that know us and understand us so well. Uh, and so I think you know if you haven't seen MoneyGram, if you haven't taken a look at it, you know go download the app, check out the services, you know find our Instagram account. 
follow us on, on Twitter, see what's going on on LinkedIn, uh, you know, get involved a little bit. And, uh, you know, I think you're going to find a very exciting, very dynamic company. And you probably learn something as well about the world and, you know, kind of what's going on with the, with all of your uh, constituents and consumers in it. So uh, I think it's a great industry. It's, it's a great business. I'm, I'm really proud of everything we do here at MoneyGram and uh, excited to continue to spread the word on that and, and push that forward. So thank you very much. Yeah, thank, thanks for joining us. As always, people in the program may own companies discussed on the show and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against the stocks discussed, so don't buy or sell anything based solely on what you hear. Thanks to Heather Horton for mixing the show. For Luis Sanchez and Alex Holmes, I'm Nick Seipel. Thanks for listening and Fool on. Thank you.